Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have a special show for you today. Seven months ago, we spoke with an unassuming man in the Malibu Racquet Club box at the BMP Paribas Open. This giant in the tennis world and true insider had just finished awarding J.C. Aragon and Jamie Loeb $100,000 grants so that they can continue their battles up the ranks in pro tennis. And while he also had a huge job running a Fortune 500 company, he was constantly doing things like this, being an integral part of the advancement of tennis in the United States. Suffice it to say, we had so much to discuss, but we had some technical difficulties and the interview was cut short, so we tabled it, hoping that we could get a better, more thorough one down the road. Unfortunately, that day never came. The man passed away this past Friday, but in his memory, we decided to release this episode. His name was Mark Hurd, and among other things, he was the CEO of Oracle, a giant in the business computing space, and also a major friend of the world of tennis. He grew up playing on public courts in Miami. In college, he played one at Baylor. And while chief executive at Oracle, he helped forge the greatest corporate partnership that modern tennis has known. From significantly supporting college tennis to sponsoring a challenger series through the U.S. and now a pro series, Oracle has offered up-and-coming tennis players a chance to get to the big stage. Its founder, the larger-than-life Larry Ellison, also happens to be the owner of the fifth major, the BMP Paribas Open at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden. And Oracle, as well as Mark, have been significantly involved in the advancement of tennis technology. Mark Hurd told us about which tennis greats showed up to play the kids at the public parks in Miami, what he's seeing in college tennis today, and what he thinks of robotized ball boys. This episode is sponsored by Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. First of all, uh, we are in Suite 304 at Stadium One here at the BNP Paribas Open. We're at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden. Uh, Mark Hurd is with us. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for coming here. Sure, my pleasure. You know, Oracle has taken a huge role in tennis, and you're a former player, so we have a lot of interesting things we want to talk to you about. Great. We do a five-set format. Our first set, we call our off-the-court report. First of all, a lot of people that don't work in technology may not know what you guys are. Sure. For all the people that don't know, what is Oracle? Oracle is a, uh, to your point, it's a technology company. We really produce uh, technology that automates businesses. So from the biggest business to the smallest business, uh, we would help them with the applications and the infrastructure technology that would help them run their businesses. For example, what's an example? So if you were um, uh, pick any big company and you were trying to close your books, um, your what you would call your financials and HR systems would very likely be from Oracle. Uh, we're in about 80-some, almost 90 countries uh, where we've got uh, an actual uh, business subsidiary. Then we have uh, dealers that are in, in, in the rest of the countries. Um, we have 140-some thousand people in our company. We invest about you know, $6 billion a year in, in R&D. And so we're, we're, we're in enterprise IT, solutions for business. We're, we're about the biggest enterprise R&D company in the world. 
um, in terms of technology. So, um, yeah, it keeps you busy. And you report to Larry Ellison, is that right? Well, I actually report to the board. And so Larry's our chairman of our board right. and our founder. Yeah. But I actually report to the whole board, yeah. But he's an important part. He is. Now, we know that Larry bought this tournament 10 years ago. and So Oracle does not own this tournament. No. Larry owns Larry this tournament. Does. But Oracle has taken a huge role in tennis. Um, We're trying to promote college tennis, uh, promote American tennis, uh, give opportunities to more people to uh, sustain their careers in tennis. Um, And so it's it's really more of an ecosystem, um, inclusive, I think, of what Larry's done uh, here in Indian Wells, which is frankly just amazing. Let's move into our second set. We call it the On The Court Report. What have your impressions been of college tennis this year? I know you keep your eye on it pretty significantly. Well, I think, you know, college tennis continues to evolve. I think it gets better in terms of the facilities, the coaches. Um, uh, every year the coaching level continues to, to rise in terms of quality. Um, college tennis today has about 200 men's teams competing, a little over 300 uh, women's teams competing. There's more uh, women teams than men. Yes, yes, and, and that's really a result of Title IX. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably an unintended consequence of, of, of Title IX. Um, but, um, but I say the quality continues, the facilities continue to improve. You look at some of the schools that have put brand new facilities in, they're just incredible over the last well, several years. I'll tell you what, Balibu Racket is a part of the ITA Masters that gets played in September, and we love that event. You know, you almost can't tell who's a pro and who's a college player. They're so, well, the the level is so good. I think you're right. that the, if People don't realize how good all these players are. You know, they're all so, so good. And, you know, when you're sitting at, um, uh, at an, one of these events like you're talking about at Malibu Racquet Club and you see the quality of these young players... Um, they could they could sit on one of these courts, you know, here at Indian Wells. Mackie McDonald's a good example, sure. and I think Danielle Collins played that event too. Yeah, no, Danielle played at Malibu Racquet Club. In fact, I remember sitting with her uh, in the lobby of Malibu Racquet Club, and she said if she'd ever come out to Pepperdine for a recruiting visit, she'd have never gone to Virginia. She never would have. Yeah. We all feel the same. All of us that that bounce around Malibu are like, how do we not go to Pepperdine? Yeah. Um, the UTR is significant in college tennis, and it seems to me that Oracle has just pushed that. Is that true? Well, UTR, for our listeners, that's a rating system that, you know, basically Roger Federer has got the highest, and it goes all the way down to, like, any player. Right, and UTR stands for Universal Tennis Rating. In, in full disclosure, I'm a personal investor in it, so that, 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 that there's no uh, uh, confusion uh, with that, and Oracle separately from me is uh, the technology platform that UTR uh, runs on. And I think UTR is, to your point, a potential staple of 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 the sport. Meaning that you know the 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 value. Just one example of colleges is that it it, it normalizes somebody from this location versus that location. That's right. The promise of UTR is is much bigger, though. The opportunity to be able to create an environment by which people can meet, people can coordinate. People in, who are from L.A. can be traveling to Chicago, find somebody of their own skill and uh, a like rating, and even the opportunity to find uh, uh, locations to play. All of that is an opportunity with UTR. Let's move into our third set. This is the part of our show where we simply talk about our interviewee's career. Um, I know you're from New York. Um, where does your tennis story begin? 
No, I went to, uh, I grew up in New York, to your point. I learned to play when I was in the summers in New York, but didn't really seriously play much, you know, as much as I did until my family moved to Florida when I was in uh, high school, and then I played and got better. And You went to high school in Miami. I did. Did you play at Crandon Park, or did you play? No, I, I played north of there, closer to North Shore, if you're familiar with Miami Beach. Um, and I played on Miami Beach. Uh, we were blessed with lots of talented players. Um, those are the days when, you know, there wasn't all of these academies that there are now. Um, I think in the state of Florida, we had four or five of, of four or five of us were in the top ten in the state, all that live within uh, five miles of each other. But but you didn't like go to you didn't see like Harold Solomon and Eddie Dibbs like playing out in Flamingo Park that you weren't part well, of. Eddie that. Dibbs is an interesting story. Eddie is from Miami Beach. Uh, Eddie is uh, much much older than me. Um, I, I I always like to give Eddie a hard time. Fast Eddie Dibbs was probably a top ten player. Uh, oh, Eddie was top top five. But Eddie was one of the most generous, uh, and I mean this in the context of he would come home to Miami Beach from the tour, and I, I don't know if I've ever even told Trey this, but he would he would go get a court, and get on the court and play all comers. When you were a junior, when I was a junior, I'd come and get to play a set with Eddie Dibbs, and he would do that. All day. Well, the story All is day. is that Eddie Dibbs and Harold Solomon used to hustle at Flamingo Park when they were kids. Now, these are real I, Miami I think players. This, would, this is more Eddie. Eddie played at Flamingo when he was a young uh, kid. He'd moved down from Brooklyn. But uh, for all of Eddie's personality, I think it's it's lost on some people just what a thoughtful, uh, generous guy he was. And I, I like to get a cool guy. Time. Cool guy. Three and in the it, world, Eddie Dibbs. And and would come home and said, high school kids, come out, play me. I'm going to kick your butt. Yeah. He'd yell at you while he was playing with yell you. Yell at you. Oh, yeah. He, he would he would say, you know, you'll never beat me. You're terrible. You know, you know all this. But here you're playing with a guy who's, you know, at the time, top ten in the world, who's giving his time. Not like he's going to get all that much better. Yeah. Playing a host of 18-year-old and 17-year-olds. But he's out there doing it. And I, I, I think he is... Uh, uh, probably not given credit, but in Miami, he is an absolute legend uh, in terms of his generosity and his thoughtfulness uh, and all he did for, for kids. And now you must be no slouch. You must have played well. You got a college scholarship. You went to Baylor. That's in yeah. Waco, Texas. Waco, Texas. And what conference was that? It's called the Southwest Conference. So that conference would have been Texas, uh, SMU. Um, TCU. You played all those schools. All those schools. I lost to many good players. What number did you play at your at your top? A one. You played one. Yes. What years? Uh, my last two years. My junior. I played number two my freshman and sophomore years. Uh, I was hurt a little bit at the beginning of my sophomore year. Played three or four. Then I played two at the end. Then I played one my junior and senior years. That's no joke, man. That's really good. No, I said I lost to a lot of good players. I got the opportunity to play a lot of good players, and. Um, you know, my, my senior year, I lost to, uh, I had three terribly tough matches with, for example, Kevin Kern, who I could never beat. Kevin Kern went to SMU? He went to Texas. Texas. And Kevin was like playing Gumby. He was, um, it was like, it felt like he was serving from the... Uh, Hang on a second. Did you play him tight? I didn't mean to cut you off, but do you... You, you cut me off whenever you want. You uh, played him tight? Tight. We lo I lost six and six, and I never, and by the way, I don't think... I'm not sure I ever broke him, ever. That's a great stat. I, I'm pretty sure that's true. Kevin he, Curran, I believe, won Wimbledon doubles. 
Well, you got to the semis of Wimbledon a couple years after. Finals of Wimbledon. Finals of Wimbledon. Got to the finals yeah. of singles. Uh, was he's got to be a top top twenty guy in the world? Oh no, he got above top twenty. But he had this when he got to Texas. He had this two-handed forehand and a slice backhand, and he played. He was another guy, very interesting guy, in that he played six at Texas his freshman year, and um, and just got better and better and better and better. And I actually thought the toughest part of his game was his serve, because he could slice you way out wide and go go up the tee. And, oh, by and, far his serve was world class. I mean, that's what got him. It just into got the- better and better and better. And so I remember, you know, my last match. I probably shouldn't even tell a story, but my last match in school, it was it was it was it was not only the loss, but it was my last match, you know, in college. And it was a you know, it's an emotional time to think this is the last time I'll actually be. Be be plain, and I remember. You know, I've been here four years. This is the end of it. I should have. Man, I, I don't know you at all, but I'm proud of you that you lost Breaker Breaker to Kevin Curran. I mean, that's incredible. You know, time goes back. I, you know, there was no Hawkeye at the time, and I probably should have been tougher on the lines. I won't go any farther. <laughs> right? but, but but you know, you know, those are the days of college tennis where it was. You know, there weren't. There wasn't even the infrastructure there is today, and there wasn't the the replays, and so you'd get. You know, anybody hit an ace. You know, I, I used to serve well, and so I'd get next thing. You know, lat, lat. One thing about college tennis that I always loved was it was a an individual sport played within the context of a team, and so you learned a lot about you know working together as a, as a team. You were playing not just for yourself but for your team, um, and so it was a very uh, it was a great experience for me. I learned a ton from it. I learned a ton about you know, uh, discipline and structuring my time, and it had a lot to do with what I did as I went into business. It's clear that college tennis has played a very significant part of your your life. Um, so how do you become a CEO? I mean, you were actually CEO of Hewlett Packard, now the CEO of Oracle. I mean, and how much time do you get on the court? I mean, you, yeah, you not left- Yeah, much. I mean, I, 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 uh, I went out of school and I, I became a salesperson for a company called uh, NCR. And, uh, and sales, sales, and then 22 years later, I became CEO. But I did all the jobs. I moved and and had to move to different locations. And you must have worked very hard. Yeah, yeah, no, that's part of the gig. And you know, and, and you have to make sacrifices when you do that. So I mean, you know, I've got. In some ways, I wish I could redo years with my children. You know, again, um, and my my wife, and and they've all. I had to make sacrifices, you know, for that. And then I went to, to your point, to HP and then to Oracle. And I've been fortunate enough to work for, you know, great, great companies. Now, tell me the truth. How important is your tennis background to you getting the job at Oracle? Did Larry hire you because he, he knew yeah, you loved tennis? Nothing. I'm just saying. <laughs> no? All those, there's many stories about Larry and I, none of them are, almost none of them I are never true. heard of one. I was okay. just asking. So there's lots of people. <laughs> Sorry, say, oh, I wasn't insinuating. None of these are, none of these are true. But, but. I would say this, since you brought Larry up, I mean, he's, he is, um, it's, it's actually sort of hard for me to talk about it. He's, he's um, not only smart, which I think people understand, he's one of the most thoughtful, uh, caring, uh, he's just a great man. And there's not many of them, you know, in, that I've seen through, through, through my lens at the level of 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 Larry, he is special, uh, special guy. Um, Nothing to do with tennis. I'm talking about just as a hundred percent. I understand. Um, what what is it that he brings to the table that has made him so visionary? 
Well, he's a risk taker. And so, you know, he, and he's, he's a guy who always, um, um, he's a visionary, but, but, but a risk taker. And he's got a strategy that everything he does, he wants to do better than, than, than anybody ever has before. And this tournament is a great uh, example of that. I mean, you know, who comes here to the desert, buys the tournament, decides to, do you know these seats we're staring at right now, all above us? They used to all be aluminum benches. He replaced every one of them with a chair back. He's run down every suite in this stadium. He's redone every concession area in this stadium. Oh, man. He's redone every bathroom. He's built a second stadium. He's rebuilt the entire grounds. By the way, I'm not sure how many more fans came because the bathrooms were redone. I mean, but his, No, no, his, this is the creme de la creme, man. His view is he wants this to be the greatest fan experience ever, to be the best tournament, a difference in, make a difference in, in the sport. And so I think when you, you, and his view was, if you, if you do it right, you know, we'll, we'll eventually get rewarded uh, for it. And in the sort of attendance that we have here, we have a shot, there'll be half a million people through this tournament uh, this, this year. And it's, it's all because of, of, of his approach, which is what I described. I want to ask you one question about your tennis. What kind of player are you? Uh, how would you describe yourself to someone who never saw you play tennis? As of today, I can really do nothing. My pace has moved slower and slower. The amount of time I can play has gone in terms of, you know, I can, for some short period of time, I can play at a decent level, and then I slide down, uh, you know, relatively uh, quick. So... I, so I have, you know, both skill problems, mobility. I mean, all, you know, all the things you get. Yeah, is you of get, course. Getting old get, is a drag. You get older, and I sometimes try to hit with these young kids, and that's a that's a mistake. Yeah, but I, I feel like I've heard that you kind of hold your own a little bit. That Thanks you hit the ball pretty long. sweet, of course. But so, you but you hit the ball sweet. Let's move into our fourth set. We call this the ten ball scramble. This is not a deep dive. Uh, it's word association. I'm going to say something, and you just say what's on what's in your mind. Okay? okay. Your favorite player. This wasn't Good supposed question. to stump you. No, I, I I have lots of favorite players, so I have no answer. Favorite serve. I like mine when it's going in. Yeah. Amazing. Favorite forehand. Favorite forehand. Rafa's. Favorite backhand. Rogers. Favorite tournament? This one. Favorite court? I'd probably put this center court right at the top. Stadium one? Stadium one. Linesman? My favorite linesman? There nope. aren't any. Just linesman. Do you think they're, you're, I mean, what, what do you think of them? You're the technology guy. Are they going away? Are they staying? Are they coming? This was well, I think they do a very, they, they, they do their best. I think in the end, the more we can automate the sport, I think the, the better. Oracle ITA Masters. It's great. I mean, I think I think it's 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 great. I think we can always do more to promote college tennis, and we will. Oracle Challenger Series. It's great. We should do more, and we will. College tennis. I think there should be more connective tissue between college tennis and pro tennis, and I think that's an opportunity for both pro tennis and college tennis. Um, if you think about what the the NBA gets from college basketball. You think about what the NFL gets from college football, I think pro tennis could get from college tennis if done right. Um, I think we got our answer here, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Larry Ellison. One of the greatest men in the world. 
Let's move into our fifth set. We call this the king of the court. Generally speaking, we ask our guests if they were the king of tennis, how would they, how would they do it? Our question to you is this. What is next for tennis technology? Are you going to robotize the ball? Are you going to make the ball boys electronic and robotic? I mean, what's, what's next for tennis? Well, I don't uh, robotize. I, I, again, I think there's a whole set of analytics that are available. You're going to see AI technology and sensors that are available that are going to be able to allow you to analyze the sport at a level you've never seen before. That will also be available to be done real time. Uh, so I think that's a, a fabulous opportunity for the sport. I think there's a lot of costs in the sport that you brought up earlier that involves uh, human labor, uh, whether those are, are, are umpires, whatever it may be. I think much of that can be, be automated as well. And I think with automation, actually, accuracy goes up. And so I think the chance for us to decrease the cost of the sport uh, at the same time as we increase the ability to analyze the sport, uh, service the sport, I think that's, that's, that's going to be a great opportunity. Mark Hurd, uh, first of all, I uh, want to thank you very much for uh, sitting here with us and talking with us. Um, we appreciate it. And uh, you know, thank you for your involvement with tennis. And you are released. Okay, thank you. Huge thank you to Mark Hurd. Our condolences go out to his family. We'd like to thank Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. Thank you to Trey Walkie and the folks at the Malibu Racket Club. Thank you to our listeners. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.